Welcome to the How Could You Podcast. I'm Lauren Tossi. And I'm Ryan Tossi. Oh, we're all in this one together. This is a full-blown four-alarm holiday podcast here. We are going to press on, and we're going to have the hap-hap-happiest Christmas show since Bing Crosby tap danced with Danny F and K. Because you guys are going to find out this is the jolliest couple of a-holes this side of the nuthouse. <laughs> I mean, I don't... End of podcast. Let's go no further. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. I'm going to ask you right off the top. Is this the quintessential American holiday movie? It's hard to say otherwise. Um, I, I think it's, it brings everybody together, right? Like, I don't know if I know someone that dislikes this movie. And I don't it, think I want to meet that person. <laughs> but if you don't like it, please keep listening. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Do you? We're not, we're not bad. We're just curious. Yeah. No, um, it's hard. I mean, you you know, it's hard not to talk about, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or a Christmas Story. But when it just feels like a, like this one just connects, right? Like everybody that's had that good old-fashioned family Christmas <laughs> um, has felt some portion of this. Well, and I think the thing that I like about this one and why I think it's like, you know, you talk about, like, Christmas Story and you talk about It's a Wonderful Life. There are people who don't like a Christmas Story. There are people who won't sit through It's a Wonderful Life because it's a movie that was made in the 40s, and although mm-hmm. you and I adore classic cinema, it's not everyone's bag. I think of some other ones, too, like Elf. Like, I love Elf. We'll, we watch it every single year. There are people who don't like that movie. But you yeah, know, I came up at a Christmas Eve one oh. time with our family, and I was like, what, what? I'm still shocked. I, I was so confused. <laughs> so that movie's so jolly. How do you not love Elf? It's hilarious. Yeah. It's so quotable. Because to me, I would say Elf is like Christmas Vacation. It's it's nowhere near as relatable. All right, maybe to me because I'm a giant elf, but like... <laughs> you I, do go with the four <laughs> food groups of an elf. Candy, candy canes, candy corn, and syrup. <laughs> but we're talking Christmas vacation. I, you know, I think you're hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't find the entertainment and humor. And even if Christmas isn't your holiday, I think what's relatable about it is like kind of the family dynamics of it all. As we, I'm sure, are going to get into as we talk about this classic holiday film scene by scene for this episode. Well, you know, and I think... You know, just saying this off the bat, this is what the Griswolds connect with people. The why the two films of the Griswolds that connect so much with everybody is Vacation and Christmas Vacation. It's because they're, like you said, they're so relatable. Um, not for everybody, I mean, you know, but for a lot of people, I think that's what connects them with this. Vacation, people have always gone on vacations with their family for the most part, so they connect with different parts. Most people haven't gone on a European vacation, most people haven't gone on a, a vacation vacation with their family. Yeah, but a good old-fashioned road trip Right, a road done. trip. But, you know, so there are, there's those relatable portions, you know. For sure. And, well, I'll ask this, and then we'll get into, you know, how we normally start our episode with some Tossie's takes and some Tossie's teases. Are you more Christmas vacation or vacation? Uh, Christmas vacation. Okay, good answer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, Christmas, or vacation gets, like, weird at points. <laughs> there's some dicey stuff in that. <laughs> some not very rewatchable stuff in that movie. Well, uh, I was going to say, for one, <laughs> Christmas vacation's aging better than vacation. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but at the same token, no, I vacation, I'll sit down and just laugh hysterically. I love them both. but I, it, And it's probably just... Holiday movies we talk about. We've talked about this before during the uh, the Halloween episode. You know, a good old-fashioned holiday movie 
you connect with because you're watching them every year. Uh, other movies, you don't necessarily, you know, sit down and have a specific time that you watch it. because So these movies become more relatable, more, so, you know, there's a lot of jokes out there about this, about, like, taking a movie that has nothing to do with the holiday and then forcing the holiday in. Yeah. Um, now, this one, I, I don't think fits that you know, description, but it's why holiday movies connect because now you sit down and you watch the movie every year and it just becomes ingrained. You get nostalgic of it, like all of those things. No, you're right. And there is something to timing something where it's like, I'm kind of told what time of year I'm supposed to watch Mm -hmm. this movie. So we're going to talk a lot about Christmas vacation today, our favorite parts, our favorite quotes. It's such a quotable movie. But before we get there, so to build off of our Tossies tease from last time, we're going to give you a a few more details about what is upcoming. Extremely excited about this. Yes, uh, very exciting. It's even weird to say out loud, but we're really pumped for this opportunity. So we are partner- partnering with uh, the Civic Theater of Allentown on 19th Street. Uh, we have a lot of nostalgia for that place. Uh, we are going to be hosting a movie, um, hopefully once a month, um, at their movie theater, which is Theater 514. Uh, we will do an intro, and we will do a little mini version of our podcast after the film. Yeah. Um and open for some discussion after yes. it with the audience. So, yeah, bringing a little bit of what we're doing on this show to a, a live format, essentially. You're going to sit down, watch some movies with us and a great group of people, and, you know, and then we'll get to, to talk about it afterwards. Yeah, we're really excited for this opportunity. We will announce the times and the title that we'll be showing for the first film upcoming. But for right now, mark your calendars. Hang out with us at the Civic Theater, January 29th, um, and come see us do this yeah. live. <laughs> Incredibly grateful for this opportunity, um, the Civic Theater, and, and getting to do it. And we're, we're very appreciative of them for, you know, giving us this opportunity to to come in and do this show. Uh, it's go- it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I can't wait. Uh, and I hope you guys all, you know, whoever can, <laughs> you know, can come out and, and see it. Um, you know, we're, we're excited to have you guys there. Yeah, and uh, you know, stay tuned on our social media channels at How Could You podcast. Please make sure you're following the Civic Theater on Facebook and Instagram uh, to find out about times and such. We'll be reposting a lot of stuff, but we just wanted you listeners get to be the first to hear about our new fun venture. Yeah, absolutely. And if you can't make it out to our show, check out the Civic Theater as well because they have just great program, great theater, uh, great shows, and then also a really nice curated uh, film, um, you know, Programming, yeah, they're they're programming their first run. Everything's yeah, really so great out there. Excited so. for all that. Yes. So, do you have a Tassie's takes for this week? I do. Um, I could have done a, a bunch of them because we've been watching some really good movies. Um, our brother-in-law and my sister Jolene had re- recommended us King Richard. We watched that. We loved it. Will Smith is excellent in it. Uh, so that was really really good. Uh, Ghostbusters. I could talk and fanboy out about. <laughs> um, but the one that I, I have to. Land on because I felt it in my bones uh, the entire, you know, whatever, two hours that it was on was tick, tick, boom. Um, Just absolutely in love with this movie. Um, It's Lin-Manuel Miranda's uh, directorial debut. Um, He's taking the play written by Jonathan Larson, uh, starring Andrew Garfield. Um, Our friend Ryan Hill had called uh, Andrew Garfield's performance electric, and I could not agree more. Um, Andrew Garfield, I have had a very up-and-down relationship as a fan of. Um, I, I don't have anything against Andrew Garfield, but I just haven't always loved some of his performances or maybe choices of films. 
this, he just, I could not take my eyes off him. I felt every word coming out of him, every emotion. Um, this movie just, it spoke to me. It was beautiful. It's it, it's emotional, um, you know, and it does such a great job of giving a tribute to Jonathan Larson. Um, we talked about it after. Was this kind of a niche movie because it's this small, you know, musical play put on by the, you know, the writer of uh, Rent and, you know, who unfortunately passed away very young the night before Rent was scheduled to debut. Um, With an undetected aortic dissection. Yeah. So the Jonathan Larson story is on its own just this really, you know, sad and interesting and also inspiring story. Um, And I think that Lin-Manuel Miranda did just such an amazing job of of telling this story, but also it's its, its own vehicle of, of the words that he uh, that um, Jonathan Larson wrote. It's just, I'm sorry, I, I could sit here and, and keep talking about it. it just I, I just loved every second that it was I was watching it. I can't wait till after the holidays to go back and re-watch yeah. it. <laughs> because we just have so much program with holiday movies, so I just can't wait till we watch it. And I really hope, really hope the Academy watches it as well. <laughs> I know. You know, this is a very weird year, as you and I have already been talking about, because it feels like a very musical-heavy year. Uh, that's not mm-hmm. always common. Uh, with Hollywood as, you know, in the past few years, past, like, really decades, um, with it being a heavy musical year. We've got In the Heights, we've got Tick, Tick, Boom, Dear Evan Hansen, <laughs> um, West Side Story upcoming, uh, you know, so, I, I, but I'm, I'm with you. I, I hope this gets recognized. It's beautiful. There's a song from it that'll just, it's yeah. an earworm song. It gets in there, but it's inspirational. It's life-affirming. Um, go see it. Yeah. Please go yeah, see Yeah, I mean, and, and those that don't know what it's about, it's essentially about the struggling artists trying to find their purpose and place in life and trying to get their work out there and the struggle to do that, about how, you know, an artist has that in them, but it's the right timing, the right the right piece of work of when that, you know, and so that you make your mark in this world. Yeah, and it's insane because, like, you're watching components of it and you're like – um people at this diner, like in New York City, were getting waited on by a future Pulitzer Prize winning author. But that's like such a, you know, such a common story, but it's just, it's really, really well, you know, well distilled in this film. Mm -hmm. My recommendation is not as heartfelt, um, (laughs) but there's no way I can. I don't want to put on the Paolo Gucci accent to say this, but please go see a house of Gucci. (laughs) So, all right, here's the thing. This, my best way of describing this, and it's what I said to you as we walked out of the theater, this is a movie trying to be the godfather, but with Goodfellas material. (laughs) The performances in this are so insanely vibrant. Um, I don't know if, in all honesty, I don't know if Jared Leto is a genius or a crackpot, but this film is such an interesting case study. He's unforgettable. (laughs) At one moment, he says, I want the sore like a pigeon. Um, (laughs) Their Italian accents are so kind of horrifying, but really engaging at the same time. Adam Driver... Could he wear a suit any better? I mean, this is if you're an Adam Driver stan, like you are going to really enjoy this film. Lady Gaga's performance is just incredible. Um, I, you know, I everyone talked about her after A Star Is Born, but you know, it was definitely not that people said this deliberately, but there was that sense of like, is this going to be this one-off really great performance? Yeah. But that's kind of it. Man, she her turn as this character. You know, you know, this is all based on a true story, is just incredible. She's 
magnificently engaging. She's villainous at points. She's really relatable at points. Uh, she's over the top. This movie is what the trailer suggests it's going to be. It pretty much is. It's kind of ridiculous and absurd, but it all kind of works too. Really, really enjoyed ha- Father's Son House of Gucci. It's <laughs> uh, fantastic. Yeah, I, yeah, I had fun watching you with this one because I could tell you were just really enjoying it. I mean, it's a lot of great actors chewing scenery. Um, oh, yeah. It's the godfather of fashion. You're right. Um, it's, it, you know, for Ridley Scott, it felt like a throwback movie, and that's both a positive and a negative. I listened to something to that score about someone saying like, essentially this feels like a movie that was made in the eighties. All the acting feels like it's from the eighties. It doesn't feel like it's of our time, but I I wonder if that's why it works. Cause it's almost like it's this weird distance of like, this is not normally how acting is. It's not normally how filmmaking goes, but oh my gosh, this kind of works in this weird way. And and I'm with you. uh, Lady Gaga is, you know, People, listen, she's she's a great actress. Get on board with it. Know it. Um, I, I'm excited for whatever she, you know, decides to do next. So, because she's really, really good now with two films under her belt. And big films. Yes. Now, from the soon-to-be holiday classic, winter fabulousness of House of Gucci, <laughs> this now brings us to the film we're going to talk about today, which is National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. So That's I've what got, you're all here for. Yeah, you're here. Honest, yeah. You didn't want to hear the Tossie's You fast-forwarded, let's you be wanted. honest. Um, so I'll ask, is this something that was a holiday family tradition, something you just love? Why do you love it before we go in our scene by scene? Um, it's one of the... I can't tell you the first time I saw it. Like, I don't have that type of nostalgia memory to it. However, I can tell you that I'm pretty sure from the moment that it hit rental, we've watched it. Um, like, I remember my brother being obsessed with this, and one Christmas, like, he was counting up how many times he watched it, and it became oh, some ridiculous dope. number. Yeah. You know, um, you know, it's... So this movie came out in 1989, mm-hmm. uh, so it would have been, what, nine years old around that time. Um, so I'm not sure if I saw it in 89 or in 90, depending on how, you know, that played. But, um, yeah, it's just always been a staple. And and for me, I think it stuck because my entire family, we've just quoted it. We always watched it every year. It wasn't like a necessarily a sit-down family watch, but we all watched it and we've all quoted it. I think that's... Like, probably everybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's the thing, is I realize, I'm like, is that the most relatable part of this? You maybe not remember the first time you watch it, but you know your family's been quoting it most yeah. of your life. Because, yeah. like, I remember one year we were in Stitches because our niece, Ellie, yelled out, she wrapped up the damn cats. <laughs> she was, like, three, and it was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. And you realize, like, but that's kind of the magic of this movie. I asked my students, we were doing, like, a fun warm-up question. I'm like, is there, like, what's your favorite? I, I phrased it as, what's your favorite winter movie? And it was 75% of them said National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Like, so I think there's just this thing with it is, like, it's not necessarily this moment at which you saw it, but just the fact that it's always been there. It's reliable. And it holds up. The humor in it holds up very well. And I think because it's grounded in something, despite what original reviews said about of this, it's grounded in something that feels very realistic, which is the chaos that happens when you get together with your family for the holidays. <laughs> Wanting it to be perfect, but having to accept that it's not. And I think that's something that makes this so enduring is I think at different points and something that I'm going to ask you later, but we can all kind of see ourselves in one of the characters or know one of those characters mm-hmm. that's in the film. So you was this 
not it was not received well via so no critics? it wasn't um mainly because where it was really i think besmirched is for the fact that reviewers felt it was disjointed it was a hit in terms of like audience reception but it was not a hit in terms of like how critics received it you know and that was a lot of and i read a few different reviews and that was a common through line it feels disjointed it does not feel like there's a connected story you know so this is written by john hughes uh john hughes did not want to write another vacation movie uh mainly said because he was quoted as saying those movies just have become a vehicle for Chevy Chase and nothing else. Like, <laughs> and you, is that a problem? No, I don't think it is actually a problem. But I feel like it's John Hughes being super catty about Chevy Chase. Um, John Hughes lo- was always catty. Yes, he was. Um, <laughs> Christopher Columbus was supposed to direct this, okay, but didn't because he didn't want to work with Chevy Chase. Okay, um, you know how this the director that comes onto this, but last name Chechik, I think. Yes. How he gets this is because of Stanley Kubrick. Because um, Stanley Kubrick, being super ironic in an article, uh, said they asked him about his favorite American filmmaker, and he said Chechik because Chechik did like commercials, and Kubrick was being like real cheeky, like about the state of American filmmaking, quote unquote, and like said that. Another thing to make me love. <laughs> and then Chechik, and like Chechik did like really like artsy, like I think he like did stuff for like high fashion brands, and then essentially like gets work off of this and eventually gets Christmas Vacation. And he only did, he hasn't done many movies. Yeah. He only did what, this and Benny and June, I think, right? I, I'm almost positive, yeah. Which is weird to me, he doesn't do anything else because both films are, I'm not sitting there saying they're these amazing films, but they're films that have kind of, we're still talking about today. They still have their place. Yeah. They were, they were as well enough received. I know he became a very big TV director. Well, and honestly, like, because of his, like, commercial background, you have to kind of wonder if there was, That's like, fair. safety and coming back to the short form. So it was, like, you know, TV is the nice intermediary between the two of, like, I don't want to do commercials anymore, but I don't really want to direct films anymore. Yeah. You know, and honestly, like... I don't know. Go out like, you know, unscathed. Go, I made Vacation, I made Benny and June, and then I had like no interest in making any other films. Like, what else did I really need to do with my career? Um, you know, and it starts with a great opening animation sequence. Oh my gosh, right? This That opening credits may be one of the best all time. That was supposed to be Lindsay Buckingham's song. Oh, really? He was supposed to, like, so, like, you know, Holiday Road, Lindsay Buckingham was supposed <laughs> to come on and do this, and they offered it to him, and they said, we're going to do this, like, big opening animation sequence, which we'd like you to write a song for it, and he refused because he said, I don't want to become the movie soundtrack guy. Oh, okay. So that's why he didn't do it. I can't it. ever think of Lindsay Buckingham without thinking of the SNL skit. That's the only thing I think of. <laughs> Sorry, we're out of town time, Lindsay Buckingham. I know, it's just like Bill Hader's grumpy face. Um, Bill Hader, huh? Good actor. Oh, stop it, you. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, you said about the Christmas Vacation song that opens up these credits. And I, why is that song we never hear played at Christmas time? Like, why do we not... Like, we hear a thousand of the same song just redone by different artists. But you never hear that song played on the radio or, you know, at this point, any streaming. Because no one wants to hear a cover of it because it has to sound as 80s as it does. Right. And if someone covers it, you're going to be like, okay, cool, it's modern now. Listen, I love being decorating the tree and all of a sudden you hear a Christmas vacation song come on the radio. Like sung by Ariana Grande. Well, why can't it just be sung by the same artist? Oh, 
you just actually want to hear the yeah. OG version. Right. You know, I've, I don't have a good answer for you. But it's <laughs> but a fun opening sequence. It's a fun it way is. to get into the film. It's a neat little, like, short film, really. Yeah. It's like watching a, a Disney film and you get the Pixar short. Like, you get... Well, yeah, it is kind of like <laughs> I that. find it really funny. I, I really think it's good. Yeah, you just watch, like, Santa get the living crap eat out. <laughs> All right, well, that sounds a little dark when you put it that way. But, you know, and then that takes us into, I think, you know, a scene that I think can be incredibly relatable, going out and finding that symbol of the season. <laughs> Going and finding, well, actually, I'm sorry, it starts with the road rage incident of they're on their way to go find the family Christmas tree. Is this something you did, like, with your family? Did you go out and find the Christmas tree? Did you have to drive out to Breckenridge, Colorado from Chicago, (laughs) Illinois? I did not. Um, I have no recollection of that. The tree just showed up. Um, I don't know if my siblings went with my parents to get it. I don't remember. That was not a thing I remember as being, like, I don't know if I just skipped out on it, you know, because I was the golden child and just didn't have to go <laughs> and do those types of things. But what about, what about you? I think that was a big oh, yeah, that was deal. A huge deal. Yeah, that was like getting, like, the Christmas tree. One, our Christmas tree was always... 10 times the size of the actual space it had to fit in. So it would look like a, like a girthy Christmas bush. <laughs> um, it was always really beautiful. We'd have to like let it fall outside for a while, which was always like, honestly, just a mistake because then you have to fit it through the door. Um, but it was always fun. It was always like, to me, like that was like the start of the Christmas season. You have to go and you have to get the Christmas tree. And some years we did the cutting down thing where you go out into the woods and you cut it down. And sometimes we did the like really nice, like tree lot thing. Did your dad ever dig one out? Like, did he ever <laughs> get- <laughs> not dig one out. I think there, there, there's a, a story of me being like three years old and being like very insistent that I was going to be the one to cut down the tree and like I've got this. I think I like I think that like as a kid I would go like I do I do and like you know as I, I just like told, this vision of you as a three year old with a handsaw like a handsaw and an axe <laughs> yeah. um, and your dad not letting anybody get away like no and you guys are there for just hours of you she's three she can do this now um, but like yeah I have such clear memories of this so I think like the uh, nostalgia trip of them like driving out to the middle of nowhere and so that's where so it was filmed in Breckenridge Colorado because like most of this wasn't filmed in Chicago um the Griswold house is in Burbank California um but f- do you know so the psycho truck that approaches them and that they get in the tussle with do yeah. you know what movies that truck was in uh, no. So it was Kurt Russell's pickup truck in Overboard, which I doubt you've ever seen. I have seen Overboard. Have you? Goldie Hawn. Fantastic. Kurt Russell. Movie's so Not that up. terrible remake with Anna Ferris. No. Um, and it's also, it's a pickup truck that's used in They Live. So it's the same pickup truck oh, in all God. three movies. Oh, well, God. Right, now I just feel bad for not knowing that. <laughs> I thought you'd appreciate that. I wouldn't have remembered Overboard's truck. but Although, you saying that, I feel like I can, you know... Kind of visualize it, it yeah. with the kids and everything. Yeah. Um, so then we we are there's no family truckster. So did they get rid of the family truck? They sell it off and just break down after all these years. But isn't it a station wagon? It's a station wagon. But it's not the same it's station the wagon. Same, no. I think I always thought it was the same <laughs> station wagon. It's not the what was it? The, uh, the pea green. Pea green, yeah, right. <laughs> it's a good working station wagon that somehow can get under a semi-truck with logs. I'm going to let you know, that scene always makes me kind of anxious. <laughs> when they go under, I'm like, eh, and I'm like, I know how it's going to end up, but it always makes me anxious every time. We get the good quote of, uh, I don't want to spend the holidays dead, <laughs> which I believe you say to me every holiday season when we're driving anywhere and you think I've done any type of maneuver. That because when we're driving into New York at Christmas time, you have an intensity of about you that I'm like, I think we're going to drive underneath a truck. <laughs> you bob and weave in a way that makes sense for the holiday traffic, but I always think of that line. And then we get to, you know, them going out and finding the tree, which is just, 
a hysterical mission, which really sets up kind of the nature of like how perfect Clark wants this to be. Because like, I think you get that in vacation. He wants a good family vacation. He wants them to have fun going to Wally world, but you get the sense it's because he wants that bonding time. And I think he even says that like at the beginning of the movie, like I hardly get to see the kids, but this like really sets up like, no, he's got a perfect family Christmas in mind. And this is like the key first step in that well, mission. He is the last great family. Man. <laughs> Which is such a great line. But I love like you get the, they're just like, he can't even be satisfied with just getting the tree that's kind of close. He must traipse <laughs> yeah. as far as possible. And then like, you know, just like, I love the fantastic thing that they do with Audrey. Like how she slowly is like losing feeling in all parts of her body. And then like, Clark's but, it's such a classic dad move, though, right? Oh, sure. Where it's like, everybody else wants you just to... He thinks he's doing this for the family memory, but everybody else just wants to get the first one and go back, and that would be good enough family memory, yes. but you have to go in deeper till you see the, the light shining. Yeah. <laughs> and then it's just, like, fantastic. Like, even once they get it home, just, like, again, and, and maybe that's why that feels, like, very nostalgic for me, because that tree is, like, just so ginormous for the space it's in. It's knocking out windows. Right. Well, also again, that this is where we start here. Like, nice. The score does really well with ha- helping the film hit its humor beats, right? Yes. You, you have the cut from when Clark realizes that he doesn't have a saw for the tree, so yeah, then yeah. seeing the tree on top, and you have the Christmas music, but playing in such a doleful way. <laughs> yes. It's just a great little shot or a little transition there. Well, and this is probably an unsung hero of like, cause we talked about the opening song, but it's probably an unsung hero of the film is the score because it like, it helps. I think it also really helps with like the transitioning. Cause we have mm-hmm. that great, like, you know, it's something that plays throughout the film is, is like the advent calendar. Uh, yes. And there's that like jingly music that like plays over every time you see the advent calendar. And it really just sets up. And it's funny, like, to me that the original review said it's disjointed and I'm like, oh my gosh, but I feel like there's so many elements that are helping you transition from holiday moment to holiday moment. Yeah, you know, there are some beats that I think aren't great editing, um, but they're very 80s where these like, these random shots, you know, that are kind of transitioned through the movie, which is like Ellen, you know, slicing the the lettuce head or something like that like so some of the editing so i can understand a little bit of the disjointed but i agree with you it i think it flows really well they feels more like vignettes of like you said these moments of of christmas togetherness and and family bonding throughout the holidays that are just kind of placed together but it never feels to me like it's all over the place it feels like it flows nicely well i think it's telling a singular story and i think it's like what it does really well is it continues like as you say like through its vignette it continues its gags like you get that great build up with audrey and then like clark asking her what she thinks of the tree and like, you know, Ellen having to say, she'll see it later, Crash or Furs. And like, you know, you just have these great moments. And I think that's something that the film does really well in terms of like consistency of like how the jokes play out. Um, and the fact that you don't just drop the humor. Like it, it does like, it does feel like everything has payoff. I Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about this beginning and what I think they do a nice job too is starting off with the, on the road trip to get to the, the tree is it gives us that, memory of vacation like putting the whole family in you know i making the jokes about the family truckster wasn't there but putting them in the station wagon on the road i think is a really nice 
intro into this movie, which again, you know, taking European vacation out, I think it harkens back to people remembering vacation, which they love. Yeah. And you know, the car changes, but the kids change too. So I don't know how precious we need <laughs> to be. A great practical joke throughout these movies. Yes. Is this your favorite pairing of the kids? Yeah. 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 Without a doubt, right? Um, Galactian yeah. and Juliette Lewis. Anthony Michael Hall is is, gene- is, is just fantastic. And I was going to say genius. I don't know if I'll go genius. Yeah, let's, let's great- slow your roll. <laughs> I get it. It's the holidays and you're feeling generous. (laughs) Um, But no, I think uh, Juliette Lewis as Audrey and and Johnny Galecki as Rusty is is a really nice pairing. Do you know Johnny Galecki was in another Christmas movie in the same year? No. He was in Prancer. Was he really? Which is the complete foil to this movie. I have to say this. I love Prancer. It's the single most depressing Christmas movie that has ever existed. So much so... I feel very nostalgic about that movie. I remember watching it a lot as a kid. I refuse to watch it. Like, I want to watch it, but then I'm like, do I really want to be that bummed out today? (laughs) Yeah, it's not one you can watch every year. You gotta... (laughs) It's no, man. Sam Peckinpah. Wait, it's not Peckinpah. <laughs> Sam Elliott. Oh, my God. Nope. Sam Peckinpah. <sighs> from the Big Lebowski. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, like, Sam Elliott just plays, like, this, like, totally, like, beleaguered and sad and, like, downtrodden father who's, like, a recent widower. It's just the movie's so sad. But anyways, Galecki was in that. So if you want to, like, really get bummed out before you watch Vacation, watch Prancer. It's uplifting at the end, I promise. From the tree, we get introduced to maybe two of the best villainous, you know, B-storyline characters of all time. First off... You stop it with villainous. Margot and Todd have reasons. <laughs> they really do. I was gonna hope I was hoping we were gonna discuss this. I want I'm gonna be very honest. I want a movie told from their perspective. <laughs> like years later with like terrible, like de-age them Irishman style <laughs> graphics. Because Margot has every reason to hate the next door neighbors. The Griswolds are the villains of their story. <laughs> right. And Todd is the worst husband that has ever existed. Wait, Margot's kind of the worst, too. They are the They're worst. They're not great, They're but not they great. also have every reason to hate Clark, because Clark is not great. He's the worst neighbor ever. He, like, she gets attacked by a squirrel. He takes out their, what is it, the CD player. Yeah, the CD The player. carpet gets all wet, Todd. Like, I don't know, Margot. I don't know, Margot. Like, it's just, their line deliveries are so great. Julie's Dreyfus, though, man. Props to her. Absolute She's so icon. Good and great. She's so funny in anything that she does, yeah. but there's something about this because it's like she's so awful. But at the same time, when she finally loses it at the end, you absolutely can't blame her. Like, I do not advocate for her punching Todd, but at the same time, wouldn't you? Oh, she had every right to punch Todd. <laughs> Because he sent her over there, does not check on her. She comes back. He does not get up to be like, are you okay? Do we need to go to the hospital? He's the worst. But we do get their introduction. 80s yuppies, though. Oh, yeah. When they have the silver tracksuits on, it's probably one of my favorites. Or the fact that they make, like, that giant, like, pitcher of margaritas in the most, like, modernistic, like, (laughs) 80s, like, decor. Should we have gotten a tree? I know they're tacky and, you know, cliche. Coming through the... (laughs) So fantastic. 
You got a lot of nerve talking to me about Wade Griswold. <laughs> See, and you're throwing this out, and that's the, that is what again what makes this movie so timeless. Is it's so quotable? Well, and I'll say, Arts Quest has always done a really yeah, brilliant job. Bethlehem. Yeah, they do a quote along series every every holiday season, and they do Christmas Vacation every year, and it is an absolute blast. I highly recommend if you have never checked out Arts Quest quote along series. They are so much fun. It's a really, because what it encourages is this. You go into the theater and you are encouraged to quote along with the movie. And you'll never laugh as much listening to how much other people want to quote this movie. And then the different quotes that people like attach on to. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's a good experience. It used to go, you know, pre-everything. Um, it used to be a sold out show. They had to start adding shows because it was just a great crowd. And I agree. That was a lot of fun. And that's, again, it speaks to why this movie is so, you know, you talked earlier about it. This movie, it doesn't feel dated which we talk a lot about on this show, and sometimes dated films can be great, and then and, and be okay. Sometimes they lose their luster. This movie, except for a couple of things, you could put this movie on now to somebody who's never seen it, doesn't know when it's from, and I don't know if they would immediately realize that this film wasn't made within the last couple of years. No, because, well, one, I'll say this, like the credit to it is any Blu-ray releases of it, it, it still looks like it was filmed very well. There's a few things like, I mean, shopping in a department store feels like something really <laughs> disjointed from our modern times, but there's not, there are a few markers that read it as very 80s, fashion aside, but for the most part, I completely agree with you because it's like timeless. And again, I think it's because like the themes and the situations that occur feel like anything that could happen to you today. Like, so that's what makes it work so well. You know, so from, you know, our introduction to the phenomenal and I think need to be redeemed, Margot and Todd. I may actually spend the rest of this episode just defending Margot and Todd. Justice for Margot and Todd. They have a fabulous Christmas Eve. They have charcuterie, margaritas, they're dressed nice. Don't be that guy. (laughs) Fine. I'll abandon this. And then we, you know, we follow now Clark to work and we get to see Mr. Shirley, Brian Doyle Murray. How long was it until you realized that Brian Doyle Murray was Bill Murray's brother? Um, oh gosh, I don't even know. Not that long ago. I was going to say, I only found this out a few years ago. I'm I'm sure it's something we should have known, but. I think it's because he pops up in a weirdly large amount of things and you don't realize how much they look alike until it's like connected for you. Oh, agreed. I think it's only like a few years ago that I realized Mr. Shirley was Bill Murray's brother. Yeah, and also great uh, Wayne's World you know? Oh, yeah, he's fantastic in that. Um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. He's in so many things, and a lot of actually Bill Murray things as a side character. but And he's fantastic in this because he's he plays like that boss role so fantastically well, like just so disconnected, but then irritated when his, like, his assistant, like, points out, like, oh, it's a corporate card, and he kind of looks at him, like, how dare you, like, say that? And throughout the movie, he doesn't, he gets Clark's name wrong the entire time. Yeah, like, it's, and, like, just, and I love how he says, like, none of that, like, insider language crap, right. like, gives me layman's terms. And then, again, we get that great quotable moment of... Clark going down the line of Mr. Shirley's cronies and going, you know, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, kiss my ass, kiss his ass, kiss your ass, happy Hanukkah. (laughs) And that's like some of those like great things of like, it's when you just read the quote on its own, it's like, it's not anything remarkably funny. It's just how he delivers it. And the beats of it are so great. Love it. I mean, Chevy Chase, I mean, it's one of those things. He's become an interesting, you know, 
celebrity at this point, you know, yeah. his, you know, he was always hard to, you hear all the stories that he was very hard to work with community, especially when he was on that show. Um, you know, and I think a lot of that, he's a guy that put his body through a lot for his comedy and, and, you know, I think has been in a lot of pain over years and then, you know, where his career has gone up and down and things like that. But him at his best is one of the all time comedic actors. Well, I mean, I, I don't think I'm inventing the wheel by saying this, but it just, this movie just shows the comedy gold that he is. And like you're talking about, it's not necessarily what's written. It's how it's being delivered. But and, and this is a really great transition to talk about this next sequence, which I think is a perfect example of his comedic brilliance. And I think it does deserve to be said, like, no, we're not inventing the wheel by saying that Chevy Chase is a brilliant comedic actor, but it should be celebrated because it's what makes this movie so timeless additionally. Like, relatable situations... Sure, but Chevy Chase being so consistently funny throughout the years, and it takes us to the department store scene, which is one of my all-time favorite sequences in this movie, because it's just, one, it's so ridiculously, like, inappropriate for something that's labeled as, like, a family film, and two, I just love how hysterically funny Chevy Chase is, like, he seems, like, so tweaked out, like, he's never seen like a girl before and he just loses his shit in front of this woman in the most fantastic way. And like, and she knows, like she knows exactly what he's saying and doing and you can just see how, and her reactions to it are just so great. And it's like, you get the sense of like, God, she works off of commissions. And this is just <laughs> what she's dealing with is like horny house dads just coming in trying to he buy lingerie. and flows exaggerated dad perfectly through this scene. But I think honestly, I'm actually going to give one of my favorite moments in the sequence to Galecki because he sees him doing this and just gives that... Aw, dad. Kind of look, and you're like, have you seen your dad hitting on the lingerie girl before? Is this something that's so familiar to you that you're just scoffing it off? Like, of course he is. Listen, can't see the lines, can you, Russ? (laughs) No, you can't, dad. Like, it's just so great. I always like this one because it makes me laugh how much you laugh at the the Mary line. (laughs) The line just just makes me laugh every time. Well, that's my name. (laughs) No shit. It's how he says it. Like, it's just such a great delivery. And what's great is just because you get this, you know, juxtaposed with the next portion of it, which we get to see Clark and, like, kind of his all of his, like, ridiculousness. Um, And then you get the arrival of the families. Oh, God, the family. (laughs) I have to ask you. So, obviously, there's probably a clear winner in this, but uh, who is your most annoying family member of the Griswold clan? there's no... Ellen's parents are the worst human beings ever. The living worst. (laughs) I hate her dad so much. I get irritated every time he talks. Yeah, he's not good. (laughs) Her parents are mean, and they're super mean to Clark. Oh my gosh, right? Like, I mean, not jumping ahead, but I, I pick up on it more and more every time about how much the dad loves Eddie. But hates Clark. <laughs> right? You're just it's like, so, what? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? Or yeah. like, and I'm sure we'll get to this later, but like when, you know, Audrey says, he worked really hard on it, Grandma, and he goes, so do washing machines. <laughs> like, oh, that's a great line. <laughs> okay, so we're in agreements. Like, oh, yeah. her parents, the living worst. Oh, absolutely. I actually, you know, I'll take like Cousin Eddie and all of his like perviness yeah. <laughs> over those parents any day of the week. I'm with you. <laughs> Although this scene is kind of great, just the chaos of them all arriving at the same time. My favorite part of the scene is after all the chaos, everything settled, and, and Clark, who has wanted this, has talked about this, you know, and is so excited for it, just says, you know, 
I'm gonna I'm gonna move the cars. I'll be out there through the new year. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's just realizing at this moment this was a terrible idea. Well, because and like you do have like credit to Ellen always. Like she's in the bed with him earlier, saying like you put expectations on holidays that like no family could could fill. Looking at you, Tossie. Um, <laughs> you know, and but you she does try to convince him out of this. I like when she uses funerals. Yeah. <laughs> Weddings. Weddings. Funerals. <laughs> but like it's it's just like. It, he wants us so badly, but then, like, the reality, you know, expectations versus reality with us. And she tries to prepare him for that in that great scene where he's got, like, this app stuck to his fingers and he's turning, like, the pages of the People magazine. Do you know who's on the cover of I the magazine? Not. It's actually the director. Is it really? I That's never a- knew that, so I finally decided to look it up because I felt like, I felt like an idiot because I thought it was, like, somebody I'm supposed to know. Right. And I realized, like, no, it's just a picture of the director. Uh, but, yeah, the arrival of the families is just, like, this great snapshot of kind of the chaos of like people talking over each other and like who wants to be in charge and you have like Doris Roberts is like trying to like reveal things to her daughter and then you've got like the great moment with like Diane Ladd like touching the mole and just like is it getting red or he's like right. oh, yeah if you keep touching it, it will right. be. Like, such she's a- also she says the weirdest line that she's gonna give a quarter to uh, Rusty for rubbing her like <laughs> her bunion, bunion. <laughs> so <laughs> gross <laughs> Yeah. Well, quick question though. I, I'm gonna call Rusty and and um, Audrey out here on this Why? one. All right, it's weird to sleep with you know to put them in the bed. Why does one not just sleep on the floor? Right. This feels like the easiest, like most thing. Like what kid didn't grow just up go to butt, butt to butt. going to a hotel room and half of you are sleeping on the floor and your parents have the bed like. You sleep on the floor. I don't understand. Because they're going to have to do this for two weeks. Right. Who invites their family over two weeks early? That feels intense. I love all of our family. But that feels intense. It's a long time to stay together. It is. It is. Which explains why Clark has to escape outside to put on the most phenomenal Christmas display that has ever existed in film or real life. We have the great him putting up the lights. It is literally the gold standard of holiday decorations. Yeah. Like, like, no person ever puts up their decorations without referencing this movie. Well, exactly, because, like, first off, and you had brought this off earlier, like, again, great physical comedy from Chevy Chase in the sequence as he's, you know, just has no idea what he's doing and just getting beaten up the whole entire time. But you're right, because it's almost like it's a thing that people say now. They're like, oh, I want to Griswold my house. Like, it's like a right. term. That's become, yes, exactly. I agree with you completely. That's become its own term. <laughs> Which then, you know, family togetherness time has to happen again. Unfortunately, though, this time, Clark gets left in the attic. <laughs> this is, again, talking about Chevy Chase being at his, uh, his... He gave, people don't realize how much he gave for his craft. Like, he is such a physical comedian. It's something that he did all the time on SNL and in most of his films. This moment, you know, of him going back and forth with those boards flying up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just classic Chevy Chase. Just, I am not a huge slapstick physical comedy guy, but when Chevy Chase is doing it, it's really just gold standard again really funny well yeah because there's something and it's his reactions to it and probably because he was taking like wood planks to the face (laughs) in order to do this like essentially they went like you know how they used to like make movies in the 30s where the actors were putting severe harm like let's just do that for this too but you get this great like sequence of him and it's like and again it's that kind of the dichotomy of like the different things he can do in this like you have like that intense physical comedy but you also have this like very sentimental moment where he picks up the old film reels 
there's a reference to John Hughes in this. So the film reel he picks up says Christmas 59. Okay. So the original short story version of this film was called Christmas 59. It was written by John Hughes. It was uh, published in National Lampoon's uh, magazine. And then this is what becomes the screenplay that Hughes writes for this film. He Again, he didn't want to make another uh, vacation movie. But he's and he said he wouldn't do it unless he had an idea. And they came to him and he was like, we can turn this into. So essentially, there's not a whole lot from the original short story that's used in this, but it's like the basis of the idea. Um, and even though like in the film reel, when you're watching it, actually, I think it says Christmas 55 when they're at um, when they go to Uncle Lewis um, and Aunt Bethany's house in the movie um, or in the, you know, like the home movie, it's meant to be Christmas. That's why it's written on the tape, so it's a reference to well, the original really cool. short story, uh, which is kind of fun. That's it's really interesting. You know, I always like too in that little old home video that Uncle Lewis is played by the same guy. Yeah, because he has an age. <laughs> right. Like I think, like I even have those certain relatives that like hit a certain age and they stopped aging uh, yes. from that point on. Like they may have looked older, younger, but then like as they got older, they looked like phenomenal for their age. Do you know um, Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis's house? Do you recognize what TV show that's from? Oh, no. It is uh, the house from Bewitched. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Very cool. So this is all done in, on a lot in Burbank. Do you know who the Griswolds' house is? I feel like I should. <laughs> it's a very new reference. It's the WandaVision house. Is it really? Yep. That's interesting. I mean, I didn't notice it, so, I mean, credit to them. But it's interesting that they would take such a iconic house to then use such a, such a big, you know, portion. Unless that was purposeful, I don't know. And it may have been purposeful. I only recently saw this and I thought I was like, that's really cool. So if you fact check me and I'm to- totally completely wrong about this, I apologize. <laughs> but I saw it and I'm like, that's kind of dope. Um, but you have this happen, like, when things are being, you know, done on sound stages. you have a lot of houses end up doubling, you know, you put different dressings in it, people don't even notice. And, and by virtue of the fact that this is covered in snow most of the time and Christmas lights, you don't really notice. So uh, then... Clark... Clark, though, when he's upstairs with the home videos, that's me on Thanksgiving morning every oh, year. Oh, dude. <laughs> he gets out the gloves and the fur, too. <laughs> I break out. You had given me a, a DVD a couple of years back, or a bunch of years back now, of old family uh, Christmas movies and stuff. So I break out old family pictures and those videos before you wake up on Thanksgiving morning with the, you know, and I just get to have that good, you know, holiday cry, you know? <laughs> Which, you know, it, it may sound psychotic that he wants to do this every year, but it's, like, part of it, right? Like, the whole, like, remembering, like, your past holidays yeah. and how you spent them. Like, I don't know. It's, like, and it's a nice moment. And I like that you get to see that sentimentality for Clark because you understand why he wants to bring everyone together. Because Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis obviously loom so large as part of his holidays. Like, when he was young, he wants them back in his home for his. And he wants to be the one that gets to host now. Yes. It's very, It's a very sweet moment, which ends with him, you know, Falling off the ladder right. because, like, they right. opened Clark it Clark makes two things in this moment that I don't understand. One, why are you sitting on the ladder to begin with? Two, when he falls through the floor earlier onto Rusty's bunk bed, you're telling me he couldn't wedge his way out? Okay, so he definitely could. I think he kind of <laughs> wanted to be trapped in the attic. You do, yeah, you do get think that. Think about really. the chaos below. Yeah. You right. know, when yeah. you really think about it. Also, how much damage did they do this house in one holiday <laughs> yeah. season? 
He's going to have to spend the Christmas bonus on that instead of the pool. Right. Like, intense amounts of damage. Brings us to what I think you were terrified I was going to do with our extension cords outside for our holiday decorations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get to see the lighting of the Griswold house. Oh, yes. The uh, auxiliary, auxiliary nuclear uh, switch get flipped. Drum roll, please. Join to the world. It's such a great moment. It's such a fantastic sequence. One, it highlights again that art. And Doris, is her name Doris? Yes. It's played by Doris Roberts, and her name is Doris. Sure. Yeah, we'll just say that. She looks like a Doris. They're just so terrible during this whole sequence. But I also love, like... No, it's Frances, actually. Frances. She looks like a Frances, too. But, you know, I just love, like, how happy and proud, like, Clark's parents are of him. It's a beaut, Clark! (laughs) That's So They're just so excited for him. It's like this moment of pure joy, and then, like... You know, her parents are being, like, garbage human beings. And then the kids are, like, so happy and proud of him. Those lights aren't twinkling, Clark. I know that, Arden. Thank you for... (laughs) I love... My favorite line might be just the use of, you taught me everything I knew, or you taught me everything about exterior illumination. Yes. (laughs) And then we get... Oh, God, the arrival of Cousin Eddie. (laughs) All right, I have to ask... Do you favor the first half of the movie before Cousin Eddie's arrival or the second half of the movie once he's there? (laughs) That's a really good question. It's a tough question. I'm going to say the back half only because, you know, it's not long until we get there. But that madcap of Christmas Eve night on the last 30, 40 minutes of this movie is just nonstop moment after moment hilarity. And, And Eddie is totally part of that as well. Just and the way... You know, Randy Quaid and Chevy Chase play off each other with these two characters is so good. I will say, I don't disagree with you. Here, Here's why I would say the opposite. Oh. It's because to me there's a, take here. there's a dead zone from when Eddie arrives until it's actually Christmas Eve. You're not wrong because my least favorite scene of the movie is coming up after the, in the second half. Yes, and I know what scene it is. But I don't want to say, like, I prefer before. I think the problem is, too, is Eddie is, like, as he should, he's so grotesque and he gets under my skin a little bit at points. <laughs> so, like, a little of him goes a long way with me. So when it's he, not you roll over and let Clark rubber belly. belly. <laughs> Put the rubber sheets in the gerbil. <laughs> I think that's the thing. He's got... So Randy Quaid actually based this off of a guy he knew when he lived in Texas, which is... I don't know if you want to say, oh, I'm the basis of this, because I just don't feel like that's a that's a moniker you want to have associated with you. Listen, it's Ra- Randy Quaid. Uh, We're not sure what... <laughs> what's, Randy Quaid's gotten he's weird got over an, the years. He's got his own thing. Which, you know, so you have Eddie's arrival, and then we go into your least favorite scene, which is the sledding scene. Why, do, why doesn't this work for you? I absolutely hate it. Because everything up to this point is, you know, over-exaggerated reality, right? Like, yeah. so it's these moments that are, yeah, they're played to get to the laugh. This is just so takes me out of the film. It is, you know, fantastical in all the worst ways. It's not funny to me. It doesn't feel realistic. It's long. It feels like filler. Um, you hate it because it's an action sequence. You hate action <laughs> movies. <laughs> 
That's why you hate it. <laughs> that may not be wrong. <laughs> Bingo. Bingo. I don't find any of it funny. Like, it's just yeah. not that humorous to me. I, I don't know. I'm sure some people are listening right now screaming, thinking, no, it's freaking hilarious. But it's it just doesn't work for me. I feel like it takes me out of the movie. It's not long, but it's long enough that it's the I find it boring and I don't find it funny and I don't find it necessary to the movie. Well, and I think the thing is, is like you hit this section of the film and listen, I think this movie is perfect from beginning to end. I'm not trying to like be negative about any aspects of this, but it's like you have the sledding scene, which is followed by the scene talking about the bonus, which is then, then you get the daydream sequence with Clark, the Melikaliki Maka while he's like picturing them in the pool. Like, so there's like, to me, there's, like, when you go from the sledding to the bonus, waiting to get to the Melikaliki Maka scene, it's just, like, a little bit of, like, I'm anticipating the jokes ahead. I think that's what happens with me because I'm, like, I like the stuff that's coming better, and I'm just waiting to get there. Do you like the Daydream sequence, the Fast Times, uh, <laughs> It if does you feel will? like a good homage to that, right? Um, well, is she's it in a red the, swimsuit. I think it has, it has to, to be. It has to feel that way. Yeah. Um, I find that, I mean, tell me, does anybody hear that song and not think Christmas Vacation anymore? No, as long as it's the, if it's the Dean Martin version, 100%. If it's the Casey Musgraves, I like her version, and I don't think of that sequence during that. But that song is so associated with his super, like, pervy looking out the window fantasy of, like, (laughs) the lingerie girl coming back to him. And then you've got Cousin Eddie with the the undershirt tucked into his Speedo. The whole scene is very... Hopping up and down. uh, The the whole scene is very disturbing. I don't... Because it's supposed to be a fantasy scene, this one does not bother me. I find it funny. Oh, no, I think it's hilarious. Oh, no, please don't understand. When I say it's disturbing in all the right ways, it's doing what it's supposed to. And then from there we get... Clark and Eddie in the food store. <laughs> and he's just picking up the most absurd amount of dog food that has ever existed. Your and company killed all those people down there. <laughs> Do you Clark's- know that's, did you know that's like a real thing he's referencing, by is the it way? Really? Yeah, it's, I it's, wondered it's a, that. It was it's a pesticide plant, and it did really kill a lot of people. <laughs> it's not funny by any means, the story. I just think it's, it's like disturbing <laughs> things that food additives and pesticides are the same thing. <laughs> no, we missed that one. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really messed up line. I love that Eddie has no money. No. And all he keeps getting is just the biggest bags of dog food. And also old Roy dog food, which is like the Walmart house brand. It's supposed to be like one of the worst things you can actually give to a dog. (laughs) And then he just keeps throwing it on. And even when he breaks the light bulbs and Clark doesn't even react. (laughs) I'm done. I can't like... But I think, like, it does, there's, again, like, and, because to me, the thing that's building for Cousin Eddie is what ends up happening, like, with the finale of the film. Yeah, but I think this is, this scene and the scene when, you know, Clark and and Eddie are in the living room talking, you (laughs) know. Getting her cured off of the wild turkey. (laughs) Right. And you get that great, you know, Eddie's just destroying the house, he's breaking the the (laughs) ornaments and, and everything, and, you know, Clark is just, gives the line of, like, you know, shocked that he's going to be there for what two or three months and yeah you know it's well just, i think it's supposed to be weeks like so i think you're supposed to think that he's going to stay until the new year right no he's uh, next month oh yeah that's i right. get you. yeah i always assume it's supposed to be only a few weeks yeah you're probably right you're probably right um that's also when we get the nice the reference to wally world because he's got the uh wally world glasses uh eggnog glasses mm-hmm. and there's a sight gag there that i never noticed until i was an adult 
Oh, on the Wally World Classes? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Never noticed it before. Yeah, yeah. Now I can't unsee it. Right. When someone points it out to you, you're all welcome. Random thing. This has nothing to do with this movie, but it's the vacation <laughs> world. Okay. Um, I, it didn't click to me until this year. I didn't realize, you know, Mr. Wally from Vacation? Yeah. Do you know who he is? Yeah. Wait, maybe not. It's Mr. Duncan from Home Alone oh, 2. Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah, that I didn't know. Oh. Yes. All right, well then. Sorry, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right, scratch that one off of the fun facts. <laughs> I think it's a fun fact if you didn't know it, though. I just knew it. Sorry. Please let us know in the comments if you were like me and did not realize that. <laughs> is there a comment section for our podcast? God, I hope there's not. So we've not been paying attention to it. But I do agree with you with this. Like, as much as, like, I, I kind of, like, get uh, skeeved out by Cousin Eddie. There's so many great lines, like, you know, when they're getting the eggnog and he's like, can I do anything for you? Drive out in the middle of nowhere, leave you for dead. Like, <laughs> there's so many great lines. And then when he's talking about his kids, like, you know, one's going to be like a pixie dust spreader on the tilt right. world, which I didn't know what that meant. Oh, I thought man. it literally was pixie dust. Like, he puts <laughs> glitter on the tilt world, so it looks cool. When I worked for Disney, we called it a protein spill. Uh, <laughs> we <what>? used Boban. <laughs> which I think actually your thing explains a lot clearer what's right. happening there. That's a little Disney inside... Uh, did you know that piece of trivia <laughs> before you met me? <laughs> no, not before I met you. And we also get the introduction to Ruby Sue, who's a really cute character oh, to this Sue's franchise. Adorable. Yeah. Yeah, unlike the other kid who's got a lip fungus. The lip thing. fungus doesn't say anything. He's got an undiagnosed lip fungus. Um, yeah, and I think that's because, you know, you have all these, like, and, and when I say it's a dead zone, it's more just, like, it's all, like, that build up and the kind of that character building of, like, Ruby Sue being worried about Christmas and Cousin Eddie being Cousin Eddie. We also get, we have to say, it's the grossest scene of the entire movie, but, it, again... It's a classic scene. Oh, the septic tank. <laughs> I mean, the shitter's full. <laughs> it's so... Have you checked our shitters, honey? <laughs> it's just... It, the worst part of it to me is just Randy Quaid's face when he's emptying it is so just... And again, just as for oh, Margot and Todd. Right. Like, they come out and they're so... Or actually, I think it's just it's Todd just comes Todd out. And, and he just, like, goes back into the house and I'm like, don't blame you, friend. Like, so gross. And then he's just waving, Merry Christmas. Shirt's full. Like, and it's a great line. But then this all, you know, essentially what we've all been building towards is Christmas Eve dinner and we get the arrival of Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis. Who we feel very connected with. I know 100% in my heart of hearts that we are Aunt Bethany and Uncle Lewis <laughs> in 30 years. You are Aunt Bethany enough. Yeah, you're not squirrely and like bitter enough yet. <laughs> right. But if you get there and start smoking cigars, we're well, 100% our nieces and nephews, this is what you got to look forward to when you invite us over in 30 it's years. your house on fire clock. <laughs> but I do, well, there's a great thing that happened when they were filming this. So like when Aunt Bethany comes in the door, you see the camera shake slightly. And it's because there was actually an earthquake during her take when she's coming into the house. Oh, jeez. And it shook the set. <laughs> but you can actually see the camera shake. And for whatever reason, they kept that in. Um. Do you know who Aunt Bethany was the voice of? No. Betty Boop. Wow. Aunt Bethany is Betty Boop. I can almost hear it now. I yes. did not know that. That's a piece of trivia I did not know. <laughs> okay, so the bitterness <laughs> thing is already something we're working on. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> We also start to find out in this scene where um, Uncle Lewis hates Clark. <laughs> he just, yeah, he just drives Clark crazy. <laughs> I know. 
and it's like it doesn't see well I mean he does kind of hit his hand in the old home movie when he's trying to get the presents right. out of the trunk <laughs> yes but he is kind of he like antagonizes Clark. <laughs> oh, yeah. He just picks at him. <laughs> and, like, tries to get him to, like, do stuff for him, like, constantly wait on him hand and foot. Hey, Griswold, if you're not doing anything, like, it's awful. But kind of hilarious, too. Um, I, yeah. Again, just all these characters. It's a really amazing ensemble cast. Yes. Um, there's a lot of people working here. Everybody plays their role just to perfection. There's not a bad beat in this no. movie uh, with any of the... Maybe Mr. Shirley's wife. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's... She's intentionally supposed to be that lofty. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I... And I'm even just joking about saying with her, like, nothing. She was great. It's just... It's, you get all these people in a comedy and everybody's hitting their note just perfectly. And Uncle Lewis and, and Clark and how they're playing off of each other is just really, again, really funny stuff. And then you get, you know, you have the great Christmas Eve dinner sequence. They sit down. (laughs) I think this is the thing. From the moment, like, you get to Christmas Eve, I find that I don't stop laughing until the end of the movie. Because everything is so perfect from here on out. (laughs) Like, everything before, it's not that it's not bigger. There's just something, it just hits this next gear. And again, like, except for, you know, the family's first kidnapping, it all feels like, I feel like these things could happen on a Christmas (laughs) Eve. Like, it feels like these things could go wrong. I'm glad you said that. that's that's, That's such a lie by Ellen. It's not their family's no, first kidnapping. They kidnapped the two security guards in vacation. Yes. I mean, unless they're calling those hostages, but I'm still thinking that counts. Wait. As... Okay. So no, but it, there's a big difference between a hostage situation and a kidnapping. Is there? Okay. All right. So Ellen, Ellen's not incorrect on this. Or else she just doesn't want to say to a cop. <laughs> right. Remember the time we remember uh, this actually took isn't our John first Candy one. as a hostage. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Parks closed. <laughs> So you have, like, the dinner sequence. Do you have a highlight from the dinner sequence, like, a favorite moment? It's also good, but it's the best line of the entire movie. Let's hear it. What is it? When Clark looks at the kids and says, Hey, kids, heard the news that the airline pilot spotted Santa's sleigh on his way to New York. And Eddie, just with a pause, just looks and goes, You serious, Clark? (laughs) And Clark's face is just, like, doesn't know how to react. Is that the most quotable line in the movie? I, I think it's probably the most used line. Yeah. 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 I'm just thinking about, like, merchandise. I feel like you see you serious Clark a lot, and I think yeah. it's because, like, a lot of the lines, like, are really funny. And, again, this is, movie is so quotable, but I do feel like this has to be... Is this one the, of the most quotable movies of all time? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, is there, there's got to be four to five quotable lines per scene. Like No, because I think this is one of those movies, and, again, we all attach on to different lines, but it's, like, one of those movies that, like... Without a doubt, you can quote very easily or you can drop the reference and pretty much anyone's yeah. going to get it. Like, So I do think there is a case to be made that this has to be one of the all-time most quotable movies. Agreed. Because then we also get Aunt Bethany <laughs> with the uh, Aunt Bethany. Do you want to say Grace? What? <laughs> Grace! <laughs> She's been dead for 30 years. <laughs> the blessing! <laughs> Tossed a Christmas card last year. It was our Us Christmas card. Maybe we put that picture up for people to Maybe. see. Maybe. And we may put up something because I'm curious what other people think if that's their most quotable line. So look for those posts upcoming. We, we have the, the, the fantastic stuff with the turkey. 
That was good. <laughs> I'll take the neck. <laughs> oh, it's so crazy. Well, the whole thing and like the dog and like, and this is like, you got to give Clark Griswold all the credit in the world. His restraint to the moment at which he explodes is so incredible because any other moment leading up to this, you'd be like, you're totally justified. Whether it's the dog yakking on a bone underneath the table, the turkey, things getting broken, the trash getting strewn everywhere. He has every reason to explode and he just really holds back. Yeah, speaking of which, so we get, you know, another famous scene from this movie here. We get the cat scene. (laughs) That cat had nine lives and it just spent it all when the poor kitty, you know, bites the lights. (laughs) Frat pussy cat. (laughs) And gets, you know, burned up, killed. Clark just takes... The, recline, the, the chair out, puts it on the thing, and goes right back to dinner. Mind if I try and see if I can fumigate this hair, Clark? <laughs> it's a quality item. No, it. no one cares about the cat. <laughs> I'm not saying the cat had it coming, but it was messing with fire, quite literally. <laughs> well, should was. not be chewing on wires. But it is. It's incredible how quickly they just gloss over the fact, like, they just, she wrapped up her cat, brought it here, and now it's dead and has no idea that there is a burnt outline in the carpet right. where her cat has perished. It's a really actually demented section. Yeah. Kind of want to play Sarah McLaughlin behind us while we uh, talk about what? this. Well, they also have the, uh, in European vacation, they have when they throw the they throw the beret and the dog jumps off the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> have an ant that dies and they that's true yeah they do you know what it's a they theme. bounce back quickly they have they have a real healthy understanding of the balance of life and death in our perspectives Clark gets more upset with the next part which is Lewis getting his stogies I love that like my tree and burning the tree down at least Clark saves Uncle Lewis as he's burning. He does. He would have every reason to just be like, you know what? You have made your bed. But like this is, again, it's like the, you know, there's so many things like coming to fruition here because you have like obviously the whole thing with like the septic tank, which is established like earlier. And that's why that scene just becomes so important because like the gag of that plays out to this moment. Like, you know, so you have like, so there's always like this like kind of threat of like imminent danger and it just keeps increasing. Like, you know, it starts like with a trash bag. And then it becomes the cat dying. And now Uncle Lewis has set himself on fire and has killed the tree. How the rest of the house didn't go is a miracle in itself. (laughs) And then, oh, you get the delivery of the bonus. (laughs) Hey, props to this guy for delivering it on Christmas Eve evening. Well, yeah, I mean, that might be one of the more unrealistic parts of this, that somebody would have gone that extra mile unless he was, like, really scared he was going to get fired. But at that, you weren't delivering exactly sensitive information because we get the great jelly of the month club. (laughs) Right? And who doesn't talk about that? That's the gift that keeps on giving. Anybody that gets a, is lucky enough in this, you know, world to get a Christmas bonus cannot think, not think about that scene come Christmas time and whether your bonus is actually going to come or not. Like, it is just, and and again, one of the best lines by Eddie, because he's being so sincere. He really is. Eddie loves Clark. Like, that's the thing. Eddie just loves Clark. And he's just trying to sell it like, you know what, Clark? I that would make me happy. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's and I think it's like the bliss. There is an aspect of this that it's like he's so blissfully unaware of the fact of like you don't understand how devastating this is right now to him. But that he just thinks like, why wouldn't that be a good thing? You get jellies once a month. Right. Maybe we should all be more cousin Eddie. No, actually, we shouldn't because it is that weird line where he asks, like, he says to Rusty, "Let's go find your sister." Right. <laughs> Cousin Eddie's weird. Well, he also in vacation. He's got a real weird. The, yeah, the my daddy says I kiss the best. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so then we get Chevy Chase. So do you know, I don't know if you know, is this scene, was this a one cut? Like, did he... No, so it's so for oft like for a really long time and in a lot of like film trivia, it was purported that this was entire like this was an ad lib. And I get why. It feels so unhinged. It feels so phenomenally born from like true and passionate anger and frustration and despair and also the worry of like he has put out money for this pool that now he cannot actually like his bank account's not gonna be able to clear. And like so a lot of a lot of what I had I had always heard about this is was entirely ad-libbed. It wasn't. It was to a point. There were aspects of it where Chevy Chase like ad-libbed certain sections of it. It was not done in one take. Like it required multiple takes to yeah. get it right. However, why the reason the camera's pointed at him is because or the way it's pointed at him is because the family members are wearing the adjectives that he's supposed to call <laughs> Mr. Shirley. So when he gets to that, and I want to look him straight in the eye and I want to tell him what a cheap, lying, no good, rotten Four flushing, low life, snake licking, dirt eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood sucking, dog kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat ass, bug eyed, stiff legged, spotty lipped, worm headed sack of monkey shit he is. The family's wearing all those adjectives. I'm just gonna give you a well done. <laughs> Thank well you. done. Brian's I mean, wearing just, all the adjectives. <laughs> I think you just ruined that magic though for everybody over all our listeners. <laughs> Sorry. But. And that's because always when he gives the, you know, where's the Tylenol, it Which feels the, so realistic. Like, I felt like Chevy Chase ad-libbed that line. And I wonder if he did, because it's such a perfect ending. Hallelujah, <laughs> holy shit, where's the Tylenol? Because, like, the thing is, is, like, at the heart is, like, Clark's a good person. I think this is what makes, like, this story so fun is because, like, these are not, like, people who are, like, obnoxious or, like, hate each other. It's, like, a really, like, nice, loving, except the except Ellen's parents, like, are really, like, nice and loving family. And, like, Clark just wants things to be great for his family. So when he finally just breaks down and breaks down so hardcore, right. like, it all makes sense. And you feel really bad for him. So he just needs, like, Tylenol and probably some time by himself. Like, you get it. You know, this scene, I didn't realize this year that this is a PG-13 movie. I always assumed it was R because Vacation's an R. Yeah. And to me, this movie seems like it's more profane than it is. It's not, uh, it's not that at profane. all. And I actually, if you had asked me before, I I knew this tirade so much. I thought there were way more like curse words in it and everything. So it's it's a real credit to the movie that it can be a PG thirteen movie and it plays that line really well to feel like a family movie, but also feel like you know an R rated adult movie. And it does. It is the perfect PG thirteen film. No, I exactly agree with you. I'll ask you this. Do you like this rant better or the rant that comes later that you opened up our show with? Oh. When they want to leave because of like how like like crazy everything has gone. You know, we're, we're talking about the movie magic of how Chevy Chase pulls off that scene. But I, I give Chevy Chase all the credit to be able to to nail that part. But I think the other one to me feels more like... We've all felt the other one a little bit, like, <laughs> yeah. like, all right, we all know that this evening is gonna is a disaster, but we've all put ourselves here. We're gonna keep on going, <laughs> and we're all just gonna be happy. I don't care if you're miserable; you're happy. Yeah, like we've all been there with you know to our both friends. We're all gonna be miserable together. <laughs> right. So I think I like that line a little bit, that moment a little bit better. But 
again, props to Chevy Chase on the other tirade. And then you get, like, you know, you, and, and now I think this is an action sequence that probably works better for it. You get the great squirrel scene. Well, yeah, but I, I love Clark with the chainsaw walking around. We need a coffin, a, a, a tree. <laughs> <laughs> when he fix, it fixes the Newell post. <laughs> which, if, you, if you're not aware, but I'm sure you are, is a reference to It's a Wonderful Life because he keeps coming up the stairs and It's a Wonderful Life and the Newell post, is, which I didn't know that's what that thing was called, but like the Newell post keeps like breaking off and he kisses it at the end and puts it back on, but Clark just like chainsaws it off. <laughs> it's amazing. It is, a, it is a fantastic reference. And then like, you know, and I love the kind of just the hilarity of the squirrel like oh, running around yeah. and the fact that like Clark's dad is like, I'll go in there. Like, <laughs> right. But bails as soon as he sees yes. the squirrel, <laughs> knocks over the mom. Yes. I, I love the little, and I don't know if it's an intentional reference. I love the reference with Clark goes to yell for Rusty, but he's looking up, not realizing Rusty. And I don't know if that's supposed to be kind of a play off the different Rusties, because the other Rusties, especially the one from your vacation, was much taller, yeah. was as tall as Clark uh, or Chevy Chase. So Well, because uh, the ages flip, because Rusty's supposed to be older than Audrey in the other movies. And in this one, Audrey's supposed to be older than Rusty. You sure about that? Yes, I'm actually positive sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I realized that either way. So. Well, I mean, just look at Juliette Lewis to Galecki. Yeah, no, 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 no. And then I think it's uh, what Marissa Nichols from Riverdale and Ethan Embry in Vegas vacation. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's just like, it, and that whole like, just the insanity of it, the dog running around, the squirrel being like on the back of Clark, the fact that then attacks poor Margo, who's just trying to like have a Marg in a charcuterie board and chill out on her <laughs> Christmas Eve. You know, so you have all these like great things. I will say, going back for a second, I do love that really nice moment between Clark and his dad. Yeah, that's a good, like, that's a good art. Or I'm sorry, that comes after the squirrel sequence, correct? No, that's because it's he talks him into coming back and That's right. Because actually that's when he yells at the family when they all decide that they're gonna leave and he tells them, No, 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 we're not gonna leave, and then that's when his dad comes in and tells him not to yell and snap at the family because none of it's their fault. Yeah. And they have that good heartfelt, yeah. Yeah, and he's like, Our Hollywood was such a disaster. How did you get through? And he's like, I had a little help from Jack Dan. Because <laughs> the dad's so sweet, and it's like, and you realize this is probably like such a relatable thing, and it's like, you know, and like, you know, shout out to all of the parents and guardians trying to make it happen for their kids like this holiday season like you know we imagine you probably have a lot of moments like this but you just keep pushing through because you want to give them something special right and again we we, it's what we started the show with and what this move makes this movie really endearing for a lot of people is because it feels relatable it's that hyper reality of all these things like that you've gone through and no you don't you know we don't have you know somebody unloading their, you know, RVs (laughs) bathroom out of their thing. You know, you know, it's just, but they've had all these moments and I like that it leads into reading of Twas the Night Before Christmas because I would say majority of families, that's what they, it became this tradition and that's what it is. You read that the night before everybody goes to bed. Yeah, if you so celebrate Christmas, like that's probably like a staple, just like hearing that poem read aloud (laughs) is like kind of what closes out the evening. But, you know, and this gets us into probably, you know, you talked about hyper-reality, and I think that's the thing. This is, like, most of the film, I think, is, like, these very relatable Clark Griswold moments, but in these, like, kind of, like, hyper-situations. But, I mean, this is the most hyper-situation that happens next, and we have the bringing of Mr. Shirley <laughs> with a red Christmas bow around him. Where does Cousin Eddie get the bow? <laughs> Someone answer this question for me. It's 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 my biggest, like, picking it, if you will. Like, I need to know where the bow comes from. You know what? Eddie's probably got a guy. 
He's got the chains. He's got the bow. <laughs> just ready. My all-time favorite moment of Cousin Eddie in the sequence is when Mr. Shirley says, and you're going to jail, and he goes, right. <laughs> it's not a big deal that it's going to happen. Man. Eddie's all happy. He's just like, you ready to do some kissing? It's <laughs> <laughs> so, so terrible. But I love this moment where Clark, like Clark can freak out, put everything on Eddie, and he doesn't. He takes like this is what makes Clark, you know, the great family man. He takes all the ownership, right? He does. He just, he's like he gets the nice compliment to Eddie, where his heart's bigger than his head or whatever. You know, it's it's a good Clark moment of of bringing the movie back to where we started. Well, of this great just guy that just loves his family, just beyond you know. His own understanding. Well, it's because, like, he shows what's supposed to be the best of us and, like, standing... Like, I mean, I wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, it wasn't me, bro. So, <laughs> like, I would not... I'm not owning this. Good but, to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not signing off on the kidnapping. But, like, it is... And I I do kind of love this with Mr. Shirley, too, because I think there's a few different ways to play Mr. Shirley, because I think you could play him, like, total corporate sleaze. But I like that you give him, like, the, the line where he says, like, sometimes these things on paper, you know, don't, yeah. you know, seem better than when you... You take it before you take into account like the personal element, or I forget right. exactly the phrasing. But he's phrasing. still condescending because he does it like a uh, little people like you. Yeah, <laughs> little people like you. <laughs> you have this great like. So this is something that was ad libbed. The Beverly D'Angelo when they come bursting into the house, the crotch grab oh, of like yeah. Clark. That was ad libbed. Oh, so she kept doing it in the take. They never noticed she was doing it. So her and Chevy Chase were like, "Let's just keep it in there." So every time they did the take, she would just do it. But it wasn't written in the script. It was just something she decided to do, which is great because it's like one of those just like funny things. Once you notice it, it's kind of hilarious. Why do the SWAT team storm Margot's house? Reasons. All right. Their house seems suspicious. You know there's cocaine in that house. Come well, on. yeah, there's definitely. <laughs> like, it's the 80s. It's there the was 80s. definitely a lot. Look at that decor. <laughs> right. Does a lot that of glass. A lot, lot of glass. A <laughs> lot of glass surfaces. Does it seem like someone who's sober would have designed that house? Right. Why is the bedroom upstairs in that loft weird thing? No. It makes no sense. Why is there stereo system upstairs? Makes no sense. They're on cocaine. I love, um, I love after the, the SWAT team, you know, takes over and... Um, Clark or Mr. Shirley reveals what happened, and the, the police chief just goes, "Sir, if I had a rubber hose, I would." And I'm like, I'm like well, listen, I've never been beaten with a rubber hose, but I guess it has to be pretty painful because right. like it conjures for him immediately. But I think that's like the thing that's like so funny about it is because you have this like disaster that happens upon the house, and then you just have like just how everything settles out. Just the fact that they were like, "Oh, we're gonna take Mr. Shirley's word for it." I love that the wife shows up in a fur coat and like a sheer nighty. <laughs> she's and, doing like, her makeup in the cop car. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. just fantastic. And then like you have everything just kind of like goes back to like probably the holiday he was looking for. Everyone dancing around and laughing and the music playing. And, you know, it takes us to the conclusion. You get this great moment of they go outside, you know, they accidentally set the sewer on fire or it combusts. Yeah. You've got the sleigh going across the sky. And I just really love this last moment we get with Clark where he's looking, you know, this has been a disaster of a holiday. But because there was just that moment where everyone came together and was happy and dancing and this beautiful kind of like magical moment happens for of the kids. Of them doing the, uh, the Star Spangled Banner. The Star Spangled Banner. <laughs> it's like so absurd that this is how it ends. But he just goes, I did it. Yeah. Like, it's just such a great. So proud. Yeah. yeah. And you're like, 
this is an insanely like horrifying holiday for anyone else, but just the fact that like you know Clark's eternal optimism that he can just at the end be like, I did it. Like yeah. it's just kind of great. I, I'm totally. <laughs> so to kind of end this, I have I have some questions for you. Now we got to we naturally got to because I was going to ask you if this was the most quotable movie, um, but I have to know. Of all of the moments that happen, what do you think is the most relatable Clark Griswold moment where you can kind of point to him and be like, Ben, there, a friend? I'm going to go with all of the great moments. I'm going to go back probably to the beginning of the movie and the road rage. Like, <laughs> <laughs> on the road and you just have somebody that's just frustrating you and you just start to make it worse. <laughs> like, I mean, I haven't been under a truck before. Yet. But... <laughs> I definitely have done the oh let me go around or you're flipping up yes I feel I feel I feel Clark or to feel like as though there's this like personal vendetta that's now happening between you and this other driver right. what about you um 100% when he starts kicking the living hell out of the Santa display <laughs> um because I've like a thousand percent been there when something's not going my way and I tantrum out pretty right. hard. I love it. Cause, well, so Chevy Chase broke his finger during that and then had to keep kicking because he was in so much pain because his <laughs> finger broke during the sequence. But I'm See, like a man that gave his body to the craft. <laughs> really did. But that's a hundred percent. Like without a doubt to me, I'm like, I point to him. I'm like, I feel you clerk in this moment. I know you have probably some more questions for me, but quick not one that for many. you. Do you know who the second assistant director was on this movie? Yes, I do. Oh, do you? Yeah. Okay. So it's uh, Frank Capra the yes. third, grandson of the great Frank Capra. Director of? It's a Wonderful Life. Exactly. My oh, favorite okay. Christmas movie. <laughs> and I have no problem saying that at the end of this yeah, pod. Uh, do you have a favorite sequence? Like, I know we've been talking a lot, and we've probably spoken positively about all of these scenes. Do you have a scene that you kind of like? That's my most, like... Oh, uh, probably the sledding scene. I think that's... <laughs> <laughs> wow. Real surprise twist ending here. Listen, I, I mean, it's a, it's a cop-out answer, but it's the truth. When they get to the dinner scene on... It's just nonstop, and it's just hilarious, and it's just flows so good. And it's like, I don't even know where the natural break to be like, oh, it's this sequence. I love, if you gave me one, I'm going to say it's probably actually just the dinner scene itself before we get to necessarily Lewis, you know, firing up the tree, uh, but just with how, you know, the the uncle and the aunt are and and the turkey, all of that is just comedy, just hilarious. Well chosen. Comedy hilarious. Comedy <laughs> hilarious. You heard it here first, guys. It's comedy hilarious. So kind of closing us out now on this all, but I have to ask, it's kind of a two-part question, but what I know we addressed a lot of it, but what do you think is really the key thing, above all, that makes this movie so endearing and such a holiday classic? And then on top of that... Roughly, where do you think this ranks in all your all-time holiday classics? Oh, both great questions. Uh, the second one's going to be a lot harder for me. But um, I would say, you know, we've talked relatability of just like, you know, insane family situations at the holidays. You know, the holidays come with a lot of fun. They can come with stress, too. Like, it shouldn't be that, but it can because you just want things to be so great. I think it's like trying to achieve the perfect holiday or something that feels like the perfect holiday feels like pretty eternal, like wanting to make those memories that are going to feel so like core to like, you know, your life. So there's that. I think it's a movie that I always keep discovering new things with. Like, I don't know why the first for the first time I noticed that the parade commentator when they're watching it is talking about like the one of the balloons are like, I can't even see the nuts. Like, it's just like this like really funny, great line. But I think what it comes down to is like you want to 
you want to laugh at the holidays. You want something that feels fun and light and like something you want to keep coming back to. And I think the fact that this has such rewatchability, such quotability and feels so relatable, I think is the reason why people come back to it. I know it's why I do because it makes me laugh every year. I know every year I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch it probably five or 10 times and laugh every single time and harder at different parts. As far as like rankings, here's the thing. It's a Wonderful Life is my favorite Christmas movie. Um, it's a very, very uh, different speed than <laughs> Christmas Vacation. I would say Christmas Vacation has to be number two, though. We always watch wow. it early in the season because mm -hmm. I think you and I end up rewatching it a few times. Um, I would say there's another comedy hopefully someday to be classic. I love the night before. Um, I can't, I know I talked about it last year on the podcast. I can't talk about that movie enough. Um, I would say it's eking up there in terms of like how much it makes me laugh compared to Christmas vacation, but it's newer, like yeah. we've only been watching it for like five years or so. Um, but yeah, I would say this has got to be number two spot. I don't know if that film though transcends the same way that. No, because it's not like something you sit down and watch with the family. Yeah, it, uh, Night Before I, is definitely an adult movie. I, is that? I, I think that is what makes the movie endearing, right? Like it's you feel like it's a bond with people. Like you're all in on the same joke together. You're yeah. all as part of the Griswolds together. Like, it feels like part of your family. Uh, so, and it's probably a movie that, you know, you quote all year long, not just at Christmas time. Oh, great. So, I I'm with you. I, I get exactly what you're saying. Um, you and I, we, and I think we talked about this a little last year, but you talk about you want to laugh I am always looking for the I want I want the movie that makes me cry at the holidays. I want that emotional beat. Um, but this one is is right up there. It's it's got to be in the top five at least. It's your top three. Like Probably. yeah, it, it has to be. <laughs> so then I have to ask in terms of John Hughes holiday classics, is this ranked number one over Planes, Trains, Home Alone, and then obviously Christmas Vacation? Yeah, no, this is 100% number one. Like, I don't think there's any doubt about it. I think it's like Home Alone is obviously another one of those movies. Incredibly quotable, incredibly rewatchable, great family movie, terrible family in it, but great family movie. Um, and then Planes, Trains takes your number three spot, but Christmas Vacation definitely at the top. So if you are not currently following us on social media, please follow us at How Could You Podcast on Instagram at How Could You Pod on Twitter. You can always send us suggestions or your favorite Christmas vacation quotes to HowCouldYouPodcast at gmail.com. Please pay attention to our social media channels. You may have already seen, I already posted our cocktail of the episode, which is the You Serious Clark, an eggnog martini, or my take on an eggnog martini. Please also pay attention to any of our upcoming announcements in regards to our engagement that we'll be having at Civic Theater on January 29th. And uh, I don't know what else to say except it's Christmas and we're all in misery. Until next time, enjoy the Odyssey. <laughs>